Welcome to the Enable Me podcast series, where we bring together stroke survivors, health professionals and researchers, providing you with practical advice to enable you on your journey to reclaim your life after stroke. The advice given in this podcast is general in nature and you should discuss your own personal needs and circumstances with your healthcare professionals. You can join the conversation at enableme.org.au. This series is presented by Australia Stroke Foundation, working to prevent, treat and beat stroke. Many people are unaware that children and babies can have strokes the same as adults, and parents are often left in a position where they don't know what help is available or even who to ask. Fortunately, that situation is changing with support groups for parents of a kid who's had a stroke and a new information resource from the Stroke Foundation, and most recently, the announcement of government funding for research into treatments for stroke in babies and children. So in this podcast, we're going to talk about what it's like to have a baby or child who's had a stroke, what can cause the stroke and what can be done about it, and what help is available. At the moment, we are still in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, so we're all recording remotely. But on the line, we have Dee Honeychurch and Kylie Facer, co-founders of the support group Little Stroke Warriors Australia and mothers of Emma and Annika, respectively. Hello, Dee and Kylie. Hi. Hi, how are you? We're also speaking to paediatric neurologist associate professor Mark McKay from the Royal Children's Hospital Melbourne. And Mark is also a member of the Stroke Foundation's Clinical Council. Welcome, Mark. Thanks very much. Happy to be here. And later on, we'll talk to Catherine David from the Stroke Foundation, who's worked with Dee and Kylie and with Mark, I believe, to develop the resource for parents called Our Family Stroke Journey. Hi, Catherine. Looking forward to it. Hi. Thanks for having me. First, though, I do want to start with you, Dee, and ask about your family's experience. Could you tell us a bit about the story of your daughter Emma's stroke? Uh, Emma, uh, we noticed that Emma wasn't meeting uh, major milestones, but uh, mainly crawling. Um, uh, and it actually, actually, it was earlier than that. It was about when she was five months old. She um, wasn't reaching with both hands. I noticed when I took her to mother's group that um, she wouldn't reach for the toys with both hands and, and she was significantly delayed in her development. So when she didn't crawl, um, after seeing a number of GPs, I uh, persistently um, sort of vigorously actually pursued um, referrals and things like that. And eventually my maternal child health nurse heard us um, and referred us to the paediatric physio in Ballarat. And she advised us to see a paediatrician straight away because she knew something was wrong uh, with Emma. And then uh, after she had an MRI at uh, 10 months old, uh, she was... Um, we were called into into her paediatrician's office and he diagnosed her uh, with either a stroke or a brain tumour. He wasn't sure what uh, she had had. Um, so we were referred to uh, neurology at the Royal Children's Hospital where we saw Dr Patrick Lowe and he confirmed that she'd had a stroke in utero. 
Okay, so that took quite a while to get that diagnosis, it sounds like. Yeah, well, I actually took her to the doctors uh, when she was five months old uh, because I realised that, you know, other babies were sort of starting to roll or that, you know, tummy time they were really strong and Emma wasn't. But I was just told that uh, she was a big baby and uh, I was basically made to feel like I was just paranoid as a first-time mum. And so because of that delayed diagnosis, Emma missed out on uh, – really important early intervention opportunities. So when you finally did get that diagnosis, was that a a relief to finally know or yeah, how did it help? It was a bit bittersweet, I guess. We were told to pack a bag to come to the neurology appointment in case it was a tumour and she would uh, stay there and have treatment. So um, they weren't sure yet. So it was a relief that she didn't have a brain tumour, but it was also a sort of confronting that she'd had a stroke, especially when I thought that you had to be a certain, you know older to have a stroke and that she was in my tummy at the time. So it comes with a lot of emotions, I think. Uh, first of all, I, th- I felt guilty. I thought, I've caused this. What did I do wrong as her mother? I couldn't carry her safely into the world. So yeah, it is a relief, but it also carries a lot of other emotions with it. Well, I might actually go over to Mark now, who, as I mentioned, you're a neurologist and you've been researching paediatric stroke for over 10 years. Is that correct? Yeah, it's probably closer to 20 years, actually. Okay. Well, can you tell us a bit, how common is stroke in babies and young children? So uh, we divide stroke up into when we're, when we're researching stroke. We, we divide it into what we call perinatal stroke, which is stroke affecting babies up to one month of age, and then childhood stroke, which is from one month of age up to age 18. Uh, if we start with the first group, perinatal stroke, stroke in babies, it's actually more common than people think. And there's some recent uh, research from Canada where they established a statewide registry in Alberta in Canada and they found that uh, stroke affects one in 1,200 babies. Um, so that's really quite surprising. That's not, not um, uncommon at all. In childhood stroke, uh, the rates are lower than in perinatal stroke, and they're estimated to be somewhere between 1 in 8,000 to 1 in 40,000 children. But one of the problems is that we don't actually know how common stroke is in the Australian population because we don't have uh, a national registry, and that's one of the, the key areas of focus moving forward. And do we know what causes these strokes? Are they the same for the perinatal stroke and for the, the childhood stroke? Uh, they're, they're different, which is, I suppose, one of the main reasons that we we separate the, the two age groups from each other. In perinatal stroke, the causes of stroke are, are poorly understood. There are factors uh, that can occur during the pregnancy, such as high blood pressure, uh, that are associated with, with increased risk of stroke. There are factors during the delivery, uh, which include the need for what we call instrumental delivery, so that would be uh, forceps or, or a thing called a vontus, which is like a suction cup or a caesarean if the baby uh, is in poor condition so they're not breathing and they're, they're what we call being flat at birth and they need some resuscitation. Um, so they, the feeling is that, um, is that if the baby, if there's some complications around the delivery or during the pregnancy, uh, that they are factors that we recognise occur more commonly in babies with stroke compared to babies who do not have stroke. Okay. And then in childhood, uh, we, our understanding is, is somewhat better, although 
uh, when we talk about causes of stroke, we, we talk about risk factors, which are conditions that you have that may predispose you to stroke. So in adults, that are, that's things like having high blood pressure or high cholesterol, diabetes. In children, probably half of children are healthy prior to stroke, so it comes completely out of the blue. Uh, and when you investigate the children, uh, we find that approximately half of children who have stroke, the stroke is due to an abnormality of the blood vessels uh, uh, supplying the brain, and that can be due to inflammation of the arteries or other conditions which are felt to be genetic. The other group that are at higher risk of stroke are children who have heart problems, so what we call congenital heart defects, which in lay terms would be a hole in the heart. The children who have those problems with the structure of the heart are at higher risk of stroke because it's easier for clots to travel to the brain. And then in children who have uh, strokes where they're due to bleeding, so we, we uh, traditionally divide stroke into blockages of arteries, which we call ischemic stroke, and um, bursting of the arteries, which we call hemorrhagic stroke. And in children who have hemorrhagic stroke due to bleeds, uh, abnormal um, blood vessels, uh, 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 such as things called arteriovenous malformations, um, which are felt to be developmental, are the commonest cause of bleeding in children with hemorrhagic stroke. Now, Kylie, I believe your daughter, Annika, also had a stroke as a baby, and I imagine you had some similar experiences to Dee. What were the first signs for you that uh, that something was wrong? So Annika was a day old when uh, we noticed a little movement that we didn't think was quite right. She had a really tightly grasped fist and her uh, hand and arm would move very rhythmically in almost like a, a beat. Um, we raised that with the a midwife that was looking after us whilst we were still in hospital and she sort of shrugged it off a little bit and, um, you know, just, you know, you're being a little bit of a, a, a nervous new mum and uh, we were getting ready to go home and we were giving her her first bath and she had a seizure. Um, she required assistance to breathe and, uh, it, you know, every, the wheels got put into motion pretty quickly. So she was rushed to the special care unit at the hospital we were in and uh, that's where everything sort of started for us. We, we had uh, lumbar punctures, MRIs and, um, you know, 36 hours of age, we were called into a conference centre and said, um, your baby has suffered a significant stroke, which has affected the bulk of the left-hand side of her brain. Um, and that was that was about it, really. We, you know, we, there, was, there was nothing else after that. We weren't given any, uh, any information or, or, you know, assistance in terms of what to from there. It was, it was basically monitoring for a couple of days and then we were sent home. So it, it was really quite frightening because, again, similarly to Dee, um, you know, I, I thought my job as, as a mum carrying my baby was to protect that baby and then, you know, he, here it was, I find out that, that this had happened to her while she was still on the inside and it's just, it's absolutely devastating. Hmm. I guess this is where we're talking about this lack of I suppose, information, lack of knowledge of what needs to be done and what should be expected. Mark, what treatment can children receive after having a stroke? So in, uh, in children who have stroke, there, there are a number of different types of treatment. The first approach, which is where there's been major advances in adults affected by stroke, is to give treatments that minimise the extent of injury to the brain. So if you've got a stroke where there's a clot, blocking the artery, there are medications that you can give that dissolve the clot or if that is ineffective, they can actually use a device which they pass into the artery and literally pull the clot out. So that's called 
uh, clot retrieval. Uh, so there are treatments that happen uh, at the, that can be offered at the time the stroke occurs. Uh, if you have bleeding in the brain, uh, you may need emergency surgery to reduce the pressure from the clot. And then the uh, down the track, once you've identified the cause of the stroke, then there are treatments that can be used to prevent further strokes from occurring, and they're called secondary preventative treatments. In babies, uh, there are currently no treatments for stroke, although there is some research uh, into using uh, a treatment which is called erythropoietin, also known as EPO, uh, which may minimise the extent of injury in the brain, but that is still um, under investigation. So in babies, the uh, treatment really is to uh, help the uh, child reach their full potential by early intervention where therapists will actually be working with the families uh, to help the child recover. Okay, now that is something that I am quite interested to hear a bit more about. Um, so Carly and Dee, I guess this is a question for both of you. Could you tell us what early intervention looked like for Annika and Emma? Uh, for, for Emma, it involved uh, really intensive uh, physio, occupational therapy and eventually a speech therapy, uh, but it was you know, four or five appointments a week in the initial stages, uh, which is which was incredible, really. Um, and you know, my life went from going to mothers' group and having you know coffee and catching up with the girls to not being able to fit in much of that recreation time at all. So, uh, yeah, it was full swing, full swing for Emma, and it continues to this day. She's five years old now, and uh, we we have about two two to three appointments a week. Emma's stroke was uh, really quite severe, so she's had some uh, pretty significant impacts as a result of that. So, yeah, um, the therapy continues. Uh, it's it's lifelong for, for Omar, yeah. Okay, and Kylie? Yeah, so um, I guess a little similarly, we started therapies at uh, six weeks of age, you know, and it, this comes back to the early intervention being so critical. Um, we started off with uh, physiotherapy and that was numerous times a week um, as she progressed a little uh, occupational therapy ticked in and on her first birthday uh, she had her first speech therapy session so um, it's been yeah, as Dee says it's, it's it's just been a whirlwind of, of fitting all these additional things into your child's routine and, and your routine um, but more so significantly for Annika as we've progressed along you know, she's three and a half now and we're starting to see some effects of the stroke that aren't um, necessary, necessarily physical. So she, a part of her brain that was damaged due to the stroke uh, controls emotional regulation and um, behaviour. And so we're starting to work with a behavioural psychologist around some of, some of those things um, because sometimes that unseen disability can be um, just as daunting as the physical stuff. I imagine that you've learned a lot about stroke and the brain in this process. Yeah, <laughs> probably far more than I think, uh, you know, anyone would fathom having to, especially when you're, you're referring to a child. And do you see that the um, the treatments she's getting, like the, the therapy she's getting, do you see them helping? Definitely. In, in Annika's case, you know, we went from having a, a child who had no concept of the right side of their body. Um, I remember someone referring to the fact that um, she had a neglected 
right-hand side and I got really upset about that because I'm thinking, you know, the term neglect has quite a, a, a nasty connotation in, in some circles but it just purely meant that the brain was neglecting to, um, to recognise the fact that she had that right side. So all of the all of the work that we've done there in terms of the OT and the physio, she now um, recognises that she has a, a, a right hand and a right foot um, and she uses those well uh, but they will always be um, you know helper limbs and and do you usually seeing a similar thing with Emma then yeah uh, with Emma she has had um, amazing advances uh, but she requires Botox treatment in the right hand side of her body so uh, due to spasticity in the limb uh, she requires Botox to um, function uh, on that side and uh, yeah so Emma's sort of experienced um, quite a a significant impact. She wears an um, ankle foot orthotic as well on her leg. Uh, but I have to say, um, we always have the attitude that impossible is nothing. And I'm, it's really something that we've adopted early on. And she shows us that every, every single day, just, just when we think that maybe something um, is, her body is not going to be able to do something because, you know, you hear different opinions from so many people. Um, she does it. So, She's incredible, really, um, and a bit like Annika went from completely ne- neglect of the right side to now engaging that right side uh, unconsciously. So, um, yeah, it's really rewarding to watch her develop. That does sound amazing. Now, just a couple of notes for our listeners. Dee mentioned there an ankle foot orthotic. That's a kind of plastic brace that supports the muscles and helps align the joints. And she also mentioned spasticity, which Emma is experiencing on her right-hand side. Now, spasticity is a stiffness and tightness caused by high muscle tone or activity. And if you want to find out more, we have an earlier podcast on that topic called How Spasticity Can Affect You. Did you know you can customise the Enable Me website to suit all your viewing needs? You can choose large size fonts or different alignment of text on your screen, a high contrast screen so that different parts stand out, automatically underline the start and end of each sentence, read in easy English and many more options. Set up once and your personal settings are saved for all your future visits. Just click on the accessibility icon at the top of the screen at enableme.org. Now, Mark, the treatments that they're using or the therapies that sounds like Annika and Emma are getting sound very similar to a lot of the stuff that adult stroke survivors experience. Does early intervention for children, is it following basically the same principles of neuroplasticity as we see in adult rehabilitation? Uh, Yes, absolutely. Neuroplasticity is actually a normal process uh, in, in, in the developing brain, so it's particularly relevant to to children, the difference between uh, normal neuroplasticity and uh, having a stroke is that what happens with the stroke is it interrupts that normal developmental trajectory, and then the brain has to um, literally reorganise itself uh, if one part of the brain has been has been damaged. Um, so with the with the early intervention, the the focus of early intervention depends on the state stage at which you know, the stroke occurs. So in babies. Uh, the focus in the first 12 months of life is primarily on their physical development because uh, anyone who's had a baby knows that that's what you see with normal development. Most of the advances in the first year are of a physical nature. And then in the second and the third year, uh, then you start to see more complex movements of the hands and then speech starts to develop. 
in the third year of life. And then once you reach school age, then there's higher sort of functions of the brain uh, is, is learning. And that's uh, the things that uh, both Dean and Dee uh, and Kylie um, were talking about with their children, about emotions and behavior. Those things often don't become apparent uh, until our children reach school age. Now, I suppose... You know, we're looking at a term like early intervention. That is clearly something that is a bit different to what it's what it's called uh, with adults. Um, and there does seem to be some other terminology as well. So one term that I've heard used in this context is cerebral palsy. Uh, is that how does that relate to stroke? Cerebral palsy is a term that refers to uh, physical problems which affect uh, movement, posture, and tone. Uh, so that's the most obvious uh, consequence of stroke is that it, is that it affects children. Uh, physically. And most people have heard of the term cerebral palsy, but what they don't know that there are different types of cerebral palsy. Uh, and one of those is called hemiplegic cerebral palsy. So hemi means half and plegia means weakness. And stroke is actually the commonest cause of hemiplegic cerebral palsy in children that are born at full term. Um, uh, but you know, I think the, the, the key point is that uh, uh, the, the physical consequences of cerebral palsy is only one one aspect of of the problem, and that, um, that you know, I think the reason why the our, our family stroke journey um, is a very important document is because it actually does talk about that journey that the families are on, and that the um, the areas that we need to focus on uh, with the early intervention depend on the age of the child. Now, this is a good time, I think, to talk about this. Uh... This information and the uh, and the support that is available. Um, so look, I'll come back to you, Dee. How how much support did you find there was, or how little support did you find there was for parents of children with stroke? Yeah, uh, little support would probably be the best way to describe it. Uh, there wasn't. Uh, any support at all really um, initially until I connected with Kylie through the Stroke Foundation uh, and we created Little Stroke Warriors. I don't um, recall there being any support. I really relied on my uh, daughter's physiotherapist at the time for information and um, some sort of navigation of the new path that we were on. Uh, other than that, we weren't referred to uh, any sort of social worker, um, no sort of um, advice about the the emotional side of of um, how the life change, I guess, and what emotions you might experience with that. And um, it was isolating. I felt very lonely, and I felt like uh, I was the only mum in Australia at the time whose child had gone through what Emma had gone through. Uh, so. Obviously, the Our Family Stroke Journey resource is um, really welcomed because uh, we, Kylie and I, we know how life-changing that will be to have in in the hands of parents uh, when their child is diagnosed uh, to give them some sort of um, navigation. Um, I didn't even know that Emma had cerebral palsy or that there were different levels of cerebral palsy uh, until we were sort of six to 12 months into the journey. So, um, yeah, that's that sort of says it all really. Uh, there's people around you throwing around medical jargon and um, often not actually speaking directly to you um, and that, yeah, that can be quite overwhelming. So, yeah, the, the resource is going to be uh, incredible, I think. Um, I would have loved to have had it uh, when Emma was diagnosed. Yeah, Kylie, uh, 
I'm interested in this, how you and Dee got in touch and and then what you set up Little Stroke Warriors to do. So could you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, sure. So as, as Dee said, you know, it's, it's quite an isolating experience when you get your diagnosis because um, our family too were really made to feel like it was just us. And, um, you know, we, we took our newborn baby home not knowing whether there were going to be any more seizures or, you know, what, what was to come. And, you know, I think I, I sort of battled through the first three or four months and, and increasingly just felt so cranky about the situation and, and not knowing where to turn for help. And um, I, I recall one evening, like during a feed or something, scrolling through the, uh, must have been through the Stroke Foundation's Facebook page and um, maybe had posted a question or something. And, and next thing you know, um, there was D. And I thought, wow. I'm not alone and that was just a really pivotal moment um, because Dee and I were then able to to chat back and forth and, and pass messages and, and I think as, as you know the sort of the weeks and months wore on of us tic-tacking back and forth we sort of mutually had this thought of well it can't just be us you know there's if if there's us there's others and why don't we set about trying to to find them and uh, we set up uh, Little Stroke Warriors Australia Facebook page and, um, I, you know, there's a quote in a movie, if you build it, they will come and they did. We just started finding family after family and and before you knew it, we had this beautiful little community of families who were all battling the same thing and they were asking questions of each other and, and answering and, and giving support and sharing the most amazing stories of their children. And uh, I think Dee and I thought, wow, isn't this isn't this incredible um, but the fire was kind of really set in our bellies, I think, and, you know, we, we still thought that whilst this community is fantastic and it provides an emotional support, there has to be something more. We, we as a country can do better and um, we decided to, you know, front up in Melbourne and go and visit the guys at the Stroke Foundation and sort of tell our story and, and half expecting for them to say, oh, you know, ladies, that's lovely, you know, off you go. And uh, before we knew it, we were having some really serious, meaningful conversations about what this journey meant um, for us, but also what it meant for the community and, and what was missing in, um, in our children's treatment and follow-up care. So from that, I think, you know, we, we've had so many incredible experiences, but they really are about to culminate in the release of the, the Our Family Stroke Journey resource. And and that has just been an incredible um, coup, I guess, for, for our families, but more so for the families to come, I think. Mm. Now, uh, you developed this resource along with Catherine David, or KD, as she's known at the Stroke Foundation. Um, and this is part of a childhood stroke project, I believe. Now, KD, could you tell us a bit about, from your perspective, how this childhood stroke project came about? Thanks, Chris. We had a great booklet about stroke in adults, but we knew we needed to do more in terms of information about stroking kids. As Dee and Kylie were saying earlier, it was around this time that they came knocking on our door. Uh, they came to see us and they're obviously wonderful and passionate advocates in the space. They were able to connect us with Little Stroke Warriors and we went on the path together of developing our family stroke journey. Okay, what's in our family stroke journey? Our family stroke journey is a complete guide for parents after a child's stroke. 
it answers those questions in the early days that parents have about stroking kids and how stroke can affect their child as well as treatment and care their child will receive. It also really importantly provides a roadmap for recovery by giving parents the information they need about life after their child's stroke and connects parents and families with the right supports and services. Okay. And in the resource, it also has a lot of, I suppose, little personal stories from um, many parents of kids who have stroke, not um, obviously um, Dee and Kylie, but other members of Little Stroke Warriors. What's it been like getting those, hearing those stories and uh, meeting those people and getting them together? It has been incredibly inspiring for us at the Stroke Foundation to work with Little Stroke Warriors and lots of other families that have been affected by stroking kids. There are some really amazing families out there who were clearly very, very passionate about supporting other families. And um, from the Stroke Foundation's perspective, we are very grateful for the opportunity to learn from these families and hear their stories We found the willingness of families to share their lived experience to help other families has been paramount in this project. We've also had lots of health professionals right across Australia who have very generously given their time and wisdom and have supported this project. So we want to thank everyone involved. Now, Kylie, what do you hope that people get out of this Our Family Stroke Journey resource? Uh, I hope they get a sense of hope. Uh, I hope they get a bit of clarity around the terminology that will be thrown at them in the early days. It's one of the things that was the hardest to deal with was having zero comprehension of of what some of these doctors were talking at me about. Um, so I think that you know having parents be a little bit educated about the situation prior to going to some of their big meetings will be really important for them. Um, And I think it's just being able to provide, you know, a a sense of, again, a sense of community and a sense of you're you're not on your own. Um, I mean, every, we, we all know that every stroke is different and every child will be different, but hopefully through this resource, um, parents will have a little bit of a, a guide and a, and a what next for their child. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess that's it for me. It's, it's really just that feeling of, of hope and, and, of, and of not being in the dark. Yeah. And, Dee, do you think there is, I guess, other information there for, um, for the parents but also for other people who may be involved with childhood stroke as well, even some of the, the health professionals you've encountered who may not have much knowledge about it? Yeah, absolutely. I think the resource, um, you know, Catherine has led this and she has been incredible to work with and I don't think she's missed a beat really as far as uh, being able to inform and I believe that definitely allied health professionals, um, maybe even teachers, um, you know, people can get a sense of what what the journey's like and what the family's going through. Uh, and stroke is a unique diagnosis and I think it's important to uh, realise that, that, um, you know, uh, childhood stroke is is within its own, its own medical condition and um, I think a lot of the time kids can get put in, um, you know, kids can get put in a box, so to speak, and um, I think if – 
if you have a document that explains uh, what's going on, it, it might give people a bit more empathy and compassion and I guess a better understanding of the child as well and, and what the parents might be going through. Because, uh, you know, as a parent, it's, it is a journey of um, grief and loss as well. It's um, And it's very hard to admit that sometimes because you're so grateful that your child survived and that they're here and that, and they amaze you every single day. But at the same time, there's a lot of, a lot of blame and on yourself as a parent. Um, so yeah, I think it alleviates a lot of those, um, emotions and, and it pulls down those barriers as well. So I'm very, very, um, grateful for the resource. And I just wanted to say thank you to Catherine, the Stroke Foundation and, um, Dr. Mark Mackey as well for um, his contribution and expertise in, in developing the resource. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's brilliant. Mark, what are you hoping that people get out of the uh, Family Stroke Journey resource? Uh, I think, you know, the, for me, the, the key message is that knowledge is power and that this is a, a really, uh, you know, comprehensive uh, document that, that provides information for families about the causes the consequences of stroke and the risk for recurrent events, um, which I think is you know is very important because the difficulty is that there's very little uh, appropriate information that parents can access on the internet. So this really uh, has all that information packed in. Uh, the, the second thing I, I would echo, uh, you know, Kylie's comments that that this really gives the families a message that they're not alone. And I think the strengths of the of the the, the document is that it approaches uh, families' needs from a national perspective. So the information in there about the supports that are available um, um, are really they're provided across every state of, of the nation, and I think that's actually really important so that where parents can access resources, access help from health professionals, but also information. Um, so that's what I, you know, I think it's just fantastic. Great. Okay, so KD, can you tell us how can people get a copy of Our Family Stroke Journey? People can find Our Family Stroke Journey on our website, the Stroke Foundation website, or they can give us a call on Stroke Line and we'll send them a printed copy. We're also working closely with children's hospitals right across Australia to make sure parents receive a copy of Our Family Stroke Journey early after their child's diagnosis. Right. You mentioned Stroke Line there. Um, what other help is available through Stroke Line? Our health professionals on Strokeline are available to provide information, to provide advice and also support. People can get in touch with us at any stage. So this might be quite early on after their child's stroke or it could be later down the track. Parents ask us lots of different questions on Strokeline, uh, but more commonly parents want to know about how to navigate the hospital system and also accessing early intervention and rehab the different types of therapies that are available for kids, tips on getting back to school, and also how to connect with other parents and families through groups like Little Stroke Warriors. So we'd certainly love to hear from anyone who has a question or needs support. Please do get in touch with us. Fantastic. And uh, Kylie, um, I imagine you'd like uh, parents to get in touch with Little Stroke Warriors if they're in a similar situation. How can people contact you? 
Absolutely. So we have a Facebook page. Actually, we have two. We have Little Stroke Warriors Australia, which is more of a public page where we can share information and resources. But then we have a Little Stroke Warriors Australia support group. And that's um, that's a pretty heavily guarded uh, little group. We, we make sure that we're only allowing uh, parents and carers into that um, into that site. So there are a couple of little questions to be answered, but you can most certainly find us uh, on Facebook and and um, D and either D or I are usually there to to answer a, a question if there's one uh, come through. So, yeah, reach out. We, we're more than happy to to have a chat. Fantastic. And D, you'll make them welcome and give them the help they need. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the group has uh, is very supportive of one another. Usually, at now, Kylie and I don't even um, have the chance to respond because so many people jump on and uh, and they respond to to people straight away. So the community is safe and it's um, respectful and it's um, really sort of um, pivotal to a parent's journey so uh, or a carer. Uh, we also welcome family members as well um, and immediate family members. So uh, we find that helpful. Grandparents um, uh, join the group generally. So uh, we know stroke affects the whole family, not just the parents. So it offers them some understanding of what parents are going through and also um, gives them a chance to see these amazing children thrive. So again, provides a lot of hope. Well, thank you very much. Now remember too that Strokeline, if you need to contact that, you can reach them on 1-800-787-653. That's 1-800-STROKE. Or you can ask a question through Enable Me and get a response from health professionals and other stroke survivors. Also a reminder that our family stroke journey will also be available through the Stroke Foundation website, which is strokefoundation.org.au. Well, that is all we have time for today. If you like what you've heard, please take the time to give us a good rating and review on your podcast app as that helps lift us up in the search rankings so that other people can find our podcast. And I want to thank again our guests, Kylie Facer and Dee Honeychurch from Little Stroke Warriors Australia, Associate Professor Mark McKay from the Royal Children's Hospital Melbourne and Catherine David from the Stroke Foundation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's all for today's Enable Me podcast. You can find out more on this topic and continue the conversation or listen to other podcasts in the series at enableme.org.au. It's free to sign up and you can talk with thousands of other stroke survivors, carers and supporters. You can also suggest a topic or provide feedback on this podcast. Enable Me has qualified health professionals from Strokeline who can answer your questions and give evidence-based advice. The advice given here is general in nature and you should discuss your own personal needs and circumstances with your healthcare professionals. The music in this podcast is Signs by stroke survivor Antonio Ianella and his band The Lion Tamers. It was recorded at Antonio Studio, which you can find out more about at facebook.com slash studio4four99. That's F-O-U-R-99. This Enable Me podcast series is produced by the Stroke Foundation in Australia, working to prevent, treat and beat stroke. See strokefoundation.org.au.